God, help us to be attentive to the things that you would have us know and understand and grasp and appropriate, things that we assume matter. Give us eyes that are good to see and hearts that are good soil to receive your word, Uh, not only cognitively but emotionally in our spirits relationally. Grow in us things that you would uh, delight in and that would bring you glory and bring us joy. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way deviate from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So starting at the very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, the Gospel of Mark. Listen closely. This is the word of God. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Exclamation point. There aren't any exclamation points in Greek grammar, Greek text. Mark puts that in there because it's the pinnacle. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And just to see how well we're all listening this morning, where was John now or then? In prison, very good. And what was the good news of God that Jesus was proclaiming? The kingdom of God had come near. The kingdom of God had come near. John had been put in prison. And one must ask if the coming near of God's kingdom seemed like good news to John the Baptist at that moment. At that moment that he had been put into prison. And yet, Matthew in his gospel tells us that John... Matthew's gospel is a little bit more filled out than Mark's gospel. Matthew tells us that John himself also preached, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has arrived. 
as Jesus arrives. So John understood that in Jesus and at this time, the kingdom was arriving, even though it meant that he would be sent to prison and eventually killed. The kingdom of God may very well look different than we expect, different than what we might think, different than we, what we might hope, and different at times than what we may want. What exactly is the kingdom? Well, it's this thing about which Jesus spoke more than anything else, by far. And so it should get our attention, it should keep our attention. I find in my own life, I have found that I just sort of read over that word kingdom when I'm reading through the Gospels, when I'm reading through the New Testament. I just read over it. But Jesus spoke more about the kingdom than he did any other subject by far. And we should understand what he was talking about. We should understand what he meant when he used the word kingdom. In our time and in our vocabulary, kingdom is defined by Merriam-Webster Webster, like this. A politically organized community or major territorial unit having a mon- monarchical form of government headed by a king or queen. So a kingdom is a nation in our minds today, a nation or a place with a ruler and with borders, like the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or like the United Kingdom, or depending on one's age or one's maturity level or interest, the first thing that may come to one's mind is the magic kingdom, or the animal kingdom, possibly. But none of these, the former or the latter, get at what Jesus was talking about. None of them. And again, it's important that we understand what Jesus meant by this simple, often missed or overlooked sped by word kingdom, because he talks about the kingdom of God in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, more than he does any other topic, more than any other subject. It was important to him, what did it mean, what does it mean? The mistake that's most often been made in understanding the kingdom of God, or in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, is to think or assume that Jesus was talking about a kingdom or a place or a reality or a realm or an existence up there or with God to which we will go, into which we who are Christians will be welcomed through the atoning death of Jesus on the cross when we die, after we die, and only then. We imagine, especially when Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel, that the kingdom of God is something that we will enter when our time in these bodies arrives. When we're done with these bodies, when they expire, when our time on earth is over, if, of course, we have been good and we have believed in Jesus. But Mark tells us that Jesus launched his public ministry By going into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, the time has come. In other words, the time has already come then, 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God has come near, repent, and believe this good news, exclamation point. And there's nothing in Jesus' words there that suggest or that sound like everyone is about to die. 
which doesn't sound like fun because the kingdom of God has come near. In fact, quite the opposite would seem to be true. Good news is abounding in Jesus' tone in his message. And Jesus calls people to do something with that reality or that truth in their lives. In their lives. To repent and believe, which would mean to change the way they think, to change the way they live, to change the way they go about doing things. And to trust, to believe is inherently in the scriptures, to trust. That same word translated believe also means to trust that the kingdom was near and that this kingdom, this reign was available to them and that all of this was and is good news or even great news. The old order has passed away. The new order has arrived. Are we together on this? And what is this kingdom? What is the kingdom? To put it most simply, the kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's maybe the easiest way that we can say that, describe that, explain that in our language, in our culture today. We could also say that it is is the rule of God, but the term rule in our minds, our culture, our vocabulary has some negative connotations, which Jesus' kingdom did not. And so we could say in clarifying that the kingdom of God is the reign of God in a person's life, in a congregation's life, in a community's life, in the world, the reign of God. In the words of Dallas Willard that are printed on the cover of our bulletins this morning, the kingdom of God is God's reigning. It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective or his carried out will. Let's read that together. The kingdom of God is God's reigning. It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. Good. In contrast to the kingdom of me, which is where and when what I want done is done, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of me is what I can do or control, directly or indirectly. And Jesus invites us into a reality in which our kingdom, the kingdom of me, comes into alignment or syncs up with or comes, becomes subject to the kingdom of God. Where and when what God wants done is done. Where or when what God wills is done. Today. Not after we die. Up until this time in our lives and in much of the church, many, have, many of us probably have thought that the kingdom of God was simply a future event and one into which we enter or are promised when we accept Jesus' atoning death for us on the cross, when we accept that event, that truth, right, reality, when we say yes, when we pray that prayer, by which, in which, at which time we are forgiven and we get our ticket punched for heaven one day in the future and forever. And while it is true that Jesus' atoning death on the cross somehow in God's cosmic reality and economy and God's gracious provision secured for us a for forever relationship with our Father in heaven, that event and that truth must be called the good news of atonement. The good news of atonement. 
But what Jesus declares here in the first chapter of Mark's gospel and also early in Matthew's and Luke's gospels at the beginning of his public ministry and throughout his public ministry in a variety of ways is the good news not of the atonement but the good news of the kingdom. Okay? Which is available to people now. And which is about life. Including all of life. It doesn't just click in when we die. The good news of the atonement is part of the good news of the kingdom, but it is also only a part of the good news of the kingdom. The good news of atonement is good news for the person who is going to die today or tomorrow. But most of us here are not going to die today or tomorrow. The good news of the kingdom is good news for today and tomorrow and the next day and the rest of your life and every day throughout and during the rest of our lives. Are we together on this? The good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus' arrival and Jesus' availability that in those things God has through his grace and his power, his spirit's power and Jesus' teaching opened up to all people who have come into contact with him, a new reality, a new power, a new way, a new path that leads to the sort of life that Jesus calls eternal. Today, for those who will embrace and subject themselves to God's reign in their lives and submit themselves to Jesus' teaching, to Jesus' way, what he is about to introduce, usher in, reveal, and model. And this is a cooperative effort. This may sound like it is a works-based righteousness that we're aiming toward, that we're getting close to. As if eternal life or one's salvation is dependent on a person's good works, good deeds, human strength. But nothing could be further from the truth. We know that any goodness that we possess, I hope you know this, I need to be reminded of this, that any goodness that you and I possess is a gift from God. It is grace and grace alone. And God calls us, God invites us to cooperate with his empowering spirit to partner with him according to his grace in our lives. And there is much of that grace not only in our lives but available to us. And we must know also that grace is not opposed to effort in a person's life. Rather, grace is opposed to the notion that one can earn salvation. Grace is opposed to the idea that a person can be good enough on his or her own to merit God's favor. Grace is opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. Do we understand that? Let's say it together. Grace is opposed to earning, But grace is not opposed to effort. God calls us so clearly in the scriptures through the teaching and the message of Jesus to cooperate with him. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. Jesus calls us to walk in his steps, to do what he did, to do what he says to do, to live as he lived, to love as he loved, which is admittedly very different than the way of the world the kingdom of the world. 
In fact, the kingdom of God is very often described and even illustrated as an upside-down kingdom. So very different than the world. So very different than our norms. So very different than the status quo. So very different than our default way of seeing and thinking and acting and believing. It doesn't fit our churchy visions of God's kingdom, which so often include pretty, neat, and clean people. People who are pure and righteous and who appear to have it all together. In his wonderful little book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brennan Manning wrote, The kingdom is not an exclusive, well-trimmed suburb with snobbish rules about who can live there. No, it is for a larger, homelier, less self-conscious cast of people who understand they are sinners because they have experienced the yaw and pitch of moral struggle. The kingdom of God bursts our bubbles and makes adjustments to our expectations about what is important and valued and loved and about who is important and valued and loved. In the words of Rachel Held Evans, also printed on the covers of our bulletin this morning, the kingdom of God Jesus has taught is right here, present yet hidden, imminent yet transcendent. It is at hand among us and beyond us now and not yet. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, belongs to the poor, the meek, the peacemakers, the merciful, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and for God. It advances not through power and might, but through missions of mercy, kindness, and humility. In this kingdom, many who are last will be first, and many who are first will be last. The rich don't usually get it, Jesus said, but children always do. This is a kingdom whose Savior arrives not on a war horse, but on a donkey. Not through triumph and conquest, but through death and resurrection. This kingdom is the only kingdom that will last. And why does all of this matter? Why is it so important that we understand what Jesus means when he uses the word kingdom, when he talks about the kingdom of God, what he describes as good news, great news? Because in all of this, throughout the Gospels, Jesus says this is the way. This is what I have to offer you. This is abundance. This is the blessed life. This is all you've ever wanted. This is what will bring you joy and peace. This is what will bring shalom to the earth. This is what will glorify God. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. We seek after a lot of things consciously and unconsciously cognitively and not cognitively, outwardly and inwardly. We seek after a lot of different things all of the time and Jesus says all of those other things must be second if you want to enter and experience the kingdom or the reign of God in your life and see it come in your world. Seek first above everything else This kingdom. And then Jesus teaches us not only to seek outwardly in our coming and going, in our relationships, in our activity, in our vocations, in our daily rhythms, but also to pray. When we pray, when you pray, pray like this, Jesus said. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. And the other half of that or the flip side of that is thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Bring about your kingdom on earth, in our communities, in my home, at my workplace, on earth as it is already in this reality or this place called heaven. Dallas Willard writes, when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come. He does not mean that we should pray for it to come into existence. Rather, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven. With this prayer, we are invoking it as in faith we are acting it into the real world of our daily existence. God, open our eyes to your kingdom coming and opportunities to cooperate with you, to partner with you by your grace, God, in seeing that kingdom which Jesus inaugurated, launched, and ushered in every day. This morning before dawn, I pulled into the drive-thru at McDonald's that I pass on my route and picked up a cup of decaf coffee, just a mild, mild amount of caffeine. And I pulled out and drove through, and as I was driving through the parking lot on the way out, there was a car parked there, and the door was half open, which is what caught my attention, in the dark, and a person slumped over the steering wheel. I've got a lot of things to do. I'm under a lot of pressure. I need to go. I have much work to do. Keep driving. Out the parking lot. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Pray that my kingdom will come. The kingdom is good news. So I turn around my car. Go back into the parking lot. And pull up to that car. Do we really want God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Seek it. Pray it. Bring it about. It is great news in a still messed up and broken world. I read a story this week about a woman whose name I can't pronounce because it's from a different culture and uh, but she simply along with a lot of other women goes by mama. And in 1994, this young woman at that time, now 60 years old, was the mother of five children. And in Rwanda, during the genocide, three of those children were slaughtered with machetes, one in front of her. And her husband was killed. as a million Rwandans were killed in a period of 100 days by their neighbors, 
Today she shepherds, cares for, and she has for 10 years now, the children of the genocide, whose parents are no more. And through her and people like her, God's kingdom comes. It is coming, it is around us, it is good news, and we can be a part of it. It is important that we understand the simple word kingdom and the phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven because Jesus talks more about this than he does anything else in the gospels and it is what he wants for us, what he has for us, what he desires for us and for the world and when his kingdom, his reign comes fully and completely All things will be right. Justice will be fulfilled. The poor in Haiti will be rich. The lost will be found. The hurting will be healed. It has begun. The movement, the revolution, what is possible and what God envisions and desires is happening, it is coming, may his kingdom come. Let's pray together. And let's really pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.